It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. On Saturday, the Senate passed President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 stimulus relief package, passing by a 50 to 49 margin. The bill faced some turbulence when it came to the issues of enhanced unemployment and the $15 minimum wage hike, with moderate Democrats like West Virginia's Joe Manchin voting in opposition. For this, we'll bring in our all-star panel, chief political correspondent at The Washington Examiner, Byron York. Founding editor at the Washington Free Beacon and AEI resident fellow, Matthew Connetti, And USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief, Susan Page. Hi, all. Uh, Susan, your thoughts on this process and where we stand? I mean, it's likely going to pass the House uh, any day now, and it will be seen as a victory for President Biden, even though it will not be seen as a bipartisan victory. No, no, not a single Republican vote in its favor, but a big victory nonetheless. It means that within about seven weeks of his inauguration, uh, President Biden will have won uh, a huge legislative victory, his top priority, and a bill that has not, as the Republicans like to point out, had not only COVID relief, but a number of other liberal priorities in its in its pages uh, that are going to leave, going to have a big impact uh, on Americans across the country. This is a this is a big muscular bill. Just one other thing, it may not have passed with Republican support in Congress. It's passing with Republican support across the country among voters. Poll after poll shows overwhelming majority supporting this legislation, including most Republicans. I guess, Susan, though, do those Republicans and the people polled know what's in this bill? You know, if you dig into it, it is only about 10 to 15 percent specific COVID relief. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into 2022. Well, you know, that's that's true, Brett. And I think probably uh, if you ask voters across the country exactly what's in the bill, they don't know. But they do know its help is on the way to them in a variety of fronts. And especially to poor Americans, there's a huge amount of money in this for food aid, for housing help, uh, for child credits, child uh, child care tax credits, um, a whole a range of things. And I think Americans at this moment, uh, as we just get to what we hope is near the end of this pandemic, are ready for the government to help the economy and their uh, get out of this, uh, get out of the economic effects of the pandemic and their in their own lives to get some help from the government in dealing with that. Right. And the Matthew, the $1,400 check, obviously people know what's happening there. It was going to be 2000 when they talked about it in Georgia in that runoff, and you see the political impact 
of the win by Democrats of those two Georgia Senate seats. Absolutely. And I think you're right, Brett. If you look at what's popular and what's not in the bill, the uh, the free checks, the free money <laughs> was definitely popular and um, contributed in some part to the uh, Democrats winning those two uh, seats in Georgia. But I think there's a lot in the bill um, that, as you say, isn't actually about ending the pandemic or getting things back to normal that voters may come to uh, regret or uh, think twice about. And in particular, some of the um, welfare uh, payments um, that are uh, described as um, a child allowance, increases in the child tax credit, these are revolutionary. And they're, they're revolutionary in a way that undoes, I think, some of the progress of the welfare reform bills in the 1990s. Voters might not actually like the consequences of that. And similarly, the big risk from this bill, if, and this is, includes Democratic economists uh, suggest this risk, is that it's too much money. It's $1.9 trillion. It's more than the economic output gap that's estimated for the rest of this year. And it's on top of some $3 trillion that was already spent, or at least allocated, in the previous year. And so that means the I word is coming to play, inflation. And while there's no guarantee that inflation will, will return, that's a potential um, road mine for, uh, for Democrats in the years ahead. Uh, or worse, stagflation. But I guess those are not things that we have been talking about lately, Byron, and that is the deficit, the debt, and where all this money goes. Some of the money from the first tranche had not been spent yet as this next money is going to be approved. No, you're, you're right. And, and the, the idea of fiscal conservatism just seems kind of quaint now. I mean, because uh, obviously Republicans just didn't care about it much uh, in the Trump uh, term. Uh, Donald Trump didn't care about it at all. And now Democrats have done this. And, you know, Matt's right about this this welfare thing. There's a Democratic or maybe former Democratic blogger named Mickey Kaus, who uh, was a very big um, uh, proponent of welfare reform back in the 90s. And as this bill, this, this COVID relief bill was being considered, he was kind of jumping up and down and waving his hands and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is going to break the historic connection between welfare and work that was established in welfare reform. It's, it's just throwing it out the window. You know, and there's a, a piece in the, the New York Times, about $86 billion in this bill will bail out uh, pension funds, multi-employer pension funds for unions that are going broke, having nothing to do with the pandemic. It, it, it doesn't lend them the money. It just gives them the money. It doesn't require any reforms on their part. They can keep doing exactly what they did to go broke in the first place. I mean, this bill is littered with stuff like this. Uh, and it is and it, it is something we're going to be discovering probably for days and weeks ahead, new stuff that was in it. Um, Susan, you know, Joe Manchin had come out and said, well, first of all, he had a problem with the $15 minimum wage. He had a problem with uh, some ele other elements of the bill. But he had told me on special report that he was not going to vote for a bill unless it had some bipartisan support. And he was an advocate for the 10 Republicans to go to the Oval Office. Well, that effort happened, but no negotiation ever materialized. And Manchin eventually voted for it. Yes, that, that's right. The last vote they got, a kind of a surprise, I think, to many Democrats, including at the White House, when Manchin was not on board, 
and they had to scramble to get his vote uh, so that they could uh, hold all 50 Democrats together. You know, Manchin has talked, um, uh, this has come up with Manchin in an interview that followed your interview, this one with The Guardian, about the next big effort to pass legislation and would he support reconciliation. And he said that he would only, he wouldn't support it unless it followed an effort for bipartisanship, not the achievement of bipartisanship. That is, you have to make, he was, his point was you need, he wants to see an honest effort to get Republicans on board to a democratic bill, but he didn't rule out going ahead and using reconciliation, which is the only way they got this big bill over the finish line. If in fact, no Republicans are willing to compromise. So is there another equation here, Matthew, that that they bite this apple again with just reconciliation. Uh, it's it's very possible. I mean, Biden's ambition for the next bill, uh, the recovery bill, is in fact even greater than, than what was um, uh, passed uh, by the Senate this past weekend. He wants up to $4 trillion in climate and infrastructure. And then also that would include the tax code changes, increases in the uh, corporate tax rate, increases in the top rate, um, uh, other other tax reforms. Now you can do this kind of tax and spending package through reconciliation, but I think the key to understanding how this process will play out is, is Manchin, because this vote was very close. I mean, 50-49, if you compare that to the uh, 2009 vote for stimulus. I mean, it's, it's like it's seven votes short. If you compare it to the Bush tax cuts in 2001, it, it's significantly fewer votes. Uh, in fact, it most closely resembles um, Bill Clinton's deficit reduction package in 1993, which was also passed by just one vote. Uh, ironically, that package lowered the deficit. <laughs> this one, <laughs> it triples it. Um, so uh, the, it will be it will be senators like Manchin, Murkowski, Collins, um, and uh, Kristen Cinema from Arizona, the Democrat from Arizona. I think will have the most to say about what this next bill looks like, and indeed, even if it can pass. Yeah, ominous things on the horizon if this is the path that Joe Biden takes for 2022, Byron, with just such small majorities in the House and the Senate. Well, it's, it's really extraordinary. I think it's frustrating to some Republicans, certainly, to see something of this magnitude get done in a Senate that's essentially tied. Now, the vote on the $1.9 trillion bill was 50 to 49 because the Republican Senator Sullivan of Alaska had to be gone for personal reasons. Otherwise, it would have been 50-50, and the tie would have been broken by um, the Vice President Kamala Harris. You know, we've had a 50-50 Senate before. Uh, right after the 2000 election. And there was a power sharing agreement because in that case, the vice president, uh, Dick Cheney, could break the tie. But the whole thing only lasted till May or June when a Republican uh, senator uh, from Vermont, Jeffords, became a Democrat. And then the Democrats were, had it was 51-49, so there's actual control of the Senate. Uh, I, I think it's just kind of galling and it's amazing uh, to see Democrats uh, pull off something so huge at a time when the Senate is effectively tied and you just have the tiebreaker to make things happen. Yeah, I, I guess Democrats would argue that tax cuts was similar the other way. Yeah, I mean, the, the Trump tax cuts uh, also passed on a very uh, low margin, although the Senate was not uh, tied. There was, there was an actual majority. Yeah. 
Susan, um, politically, I guess the next thing is kind of finding out where Republicans are. We, we know this push to the left on, on Democrats and even Biden, who didn't portray himself that way in the election. But now you have kind of figuring out how to go forward when Republicans, Lindsey Graham telling Jonathan Swan over the weekend about Donald Trump, that he still backs Trump, but quote, there's a dark side and there's some magic there. What I'm trying to do is just harness the magic and make it something sustainable beyond his personality, saying he has a possibility to rescue Republicans, but also has the possibility to destroy them. Yes. And, and meanwhile, former President Trump is trying to get Republican campaign committees to stop using his uh, name and image for fundraising. Let's see, let's see how that goes. It is not clear what direction the Republican Party is going to go. There is, uh, you know, there are struggles within the Democratic Party, too, but there's definitely one going on among Republicans. And one of the most notable things we're seeing is the number of experienced senior Republican senators who are going out the door. We had one more, Roy Blunt of Missouri. He's now the fifth Republican senator announcing he will not run for re-election. And these are some of the senators who have been leaders in the Senate. Blunt is actually a member of the leadership, but but Portman of Ohio and Toomey of Pennsylvania and Burr of North Carolina, these are pretty big figures um, in the Senate and in the party. And for a variety of reasons, they do not want to run for additional terms, which creates at least the possibility, you know, you'd think that the midterm election next year ought to be pretty good for Republicans, because usually it is for the party out of power. This raises the bar, makes it harder, I think, for Republicans, because they are likely to see the kind of primary battles for nominations on which Donald Trump would be delighted to play a big role. Right. Matthew, I guess that's one of the reasons they chose not to run Alabama, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, guessing, fearing a primary battle from the Trumpian side of the party. Right. And most likely all of the candidates running to replace the senators in those uh, five states will say that they are Trump supporters. Uh, what, what will be will be interesting is if rifts develop between um, candidates favored by Trump and his political team and candidates favored by uh, Senator McConnell. And, you know, there's a great danger for the Republican Party here uh, because the Republicans passed up the chance uh, to capture the Senate in both 2010 and 2012 because they fielded candidates uh, that were just not strong candidates, uh, candidates who had a penchant for gaffes, candidates whose background had not been vetted. And so that delayed the Republicans' ability to capture the Senate until 2014, when basically the establishment really asserted itself. So I agree with Susan. I, I think the um, the picture, of course, is always cloudy, um, but I'm not so sure that the 2022 elections guaranteed to be uh, uh, good for Republicans. We'll hear from our panel after this. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I mean, Byron, clearly some of these efforts, uh, not only in this COVID relief bill or supposed what was supposed to be COVID relief and bills to come, are efforts to consolidate power and to reward constituencies for liberals uh, with a look towards 22. And, and they will do just that. I mean, uh, if, you, if you listen to Democrats in the last few months, 
so many times when they're talking about this relief bill. They brought up the experience of um, Barack Obama and the stimulus and when he comes into office and the economy's in free fall in 2009 and they all, including Joe Biden, who was vice president, feel that they went too small back then. And, and, and uh, you just, at this time, they felt you just can't go too big. You just go big, big, big. And this is the way to build support. They believe that uh, going into any midterm, uh, they can talk about basically uh, all these Republicans voted against giving you money and I voted for giving you money. So vote for me. And, you know, the, the Senate, you got 34 seats up next time. 20 of them are Republican seats, 14 are uh, Democratic seats. Uh, Republicans, as Susan was saying, they're, they're losing a lot of some of their most experienced, safe uh, voices. I have to think that their chances of taking the House are probably better, uh, as I look at it right now, way ahead of time, uh, than they are of uh, taking the Senate. Mm-hmm. Meantime, you have a, an improving economic scenario, Susan, most across the board, uh, but you also have more Americans now have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 than have tested positive during the pandemic, 30 million to 29 million. And that's a significant movement in a short time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a relief to all of us. Uh, I think to everybody that that number one, the vaccines were developed so quickly with historic speed, and that they're now finally being distributed with a, with some bumps, of course, but on their way so that we can, as a nation, get back uh, to some to some version of normalcy. You know, this is also, I, I think the passage of this bill was good news for Joe Biden. This COVID develop, these COVID developments are as well, because if there's one issue that will define his presidency and the success of his presidency, it is getting control of this pandemic and getting past it. And it looks like we're making some progress in that direction. Yeah, I mean, Matthew, if you imagine a country coming out of a pandemic and we see some CDC guidelines release, you know, relieving some of this with vaccinated grandparents able to hug their grandkids. And obviously they had the freedom to do that. These are the guidelines from the CDC. Uh, but as the country starts to emerge from this, one would think that we're going to boom economically. Um, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand. Uh, the household balance sheets uh, are good. They're in good condition. There's a lot of savings uh, since that actually preceded uh, the pandemic, but only increased uh, during it. So once things begin to return to normal and we return to recording these podcasts in that cramped Fox studio where we've been <laughs> locked out of uh, for a year, um, you're going to see a lot of cash flood the economy. That That is one reason why uh, Democratic economists like Larry Summers were a little bit worried about this bill, uh, saying, you know, it's, it's, we're going to have tons of liquidity in the economy already, and now you're pouring in even more. The, 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 I think all of the statistics, the growth statistics, the job statistics, the spending statistics, they're all going to be very strong through at least the next uh, year. And then it's just going to be, when does the check come due? Mm-hmm. And so far, Byron, as you sketch out 2022, I mean, you can see immigration is something that Republicans are talking about a lot as the border situation, depending on who you talk to, deteriorates significantly. And, you know, cancel culture is obviously on the tongues of a lot of Republicans talking about how, you know, the woke situation is is 
tipping the political correctness scale again. But mainly, it's going to be economic, isn't it? You know, I think, uh, you know, when, when you were asking that question, I was thinking if we were talking a year ago today and we were talking about the then coming pandemic, I would have said, well, it'll all be over a year from now. Uh, I was hoping it'd be over by fall. So, I mean, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to predict. I, I do kind of think that by 2022, uh, the fall of 2022 for election time, we'll be talking mostly about the economy. And I think you're, you're right. Uh, immigration will be something that Republicans, uh, first of all, I, I personally think that Biden's problems at the border are going to increase because his policies just naturally draw people to want to cross into the United States and claim asylum. Um, so I think that's going to be a bigger and bigger problem. And that's something that Republicans really of all stripes, most stripes, uh, can be united in favor of more border security. So I think that would be big. Susan, the um, president is going to deliver a primetime address on Thursday uh, about COVID. And uh, we assume that will also include the COVID bill and the passage uh, by then and, and where we are as a country. What he has not done is do a single solo press conference. Quite something by now. Yes, historically, modern presidents have had a solo news conference uh, by this point in their tenures. And I think, I think President Biden ought to have one. I think he ought to answer questions. There's, you know, presidents are held accountable uh, by forums like that. In fairness, his administration has been pretty straightforward in getting out information. We've had these regular COVID briefings. There's a daily press briefing. That was something we didn't see in the previous four years. But I think the president ought to stand up there and take questions on whatever topics reporters want to raise. And uh, it's something he should do in soon. Mm -hmm. And the, the difference between what we saw in the last administration, <laughs> Matthew, is just so stark. I mean, as Susan mentioned, there wasn't a daily press briefing, but there was a daily almost minute by minute tracking of what the president was thinking on Twitter and elsewhere. And he was out every day answering questions from reporters, not too many formal press conferences, but did some. So that's a big difference. Right. I mean, the Trump administration wasn't very vocal, but Trump himself obviously was. So that we remember those kind of uh, impromptu press conferences Trump would hold on his way out to the uh, Marine One helicopter where everyone would have to kind of strain or he would be screaming and you kind of have to strain to hear him over the, the rotor blades. Um, I think uh, the Biden people are very concerned about regularity of message, of staying on message and um, not uh, going off script. And it's just the fact that we all know about Joe Biden and his 50 years in American politics. He has a tendency to go off script and sometimes create awkward moments or gaffes that can come back to, to haunt him. And I, I think that's one reason why they've been so reluctant to hold a press conference. And it's, it will be something that we'll all be watching for very closely when he does finally have his first press conference is how well does he manage? Now, usually he, he lives up, you know, he, he outperforms expectations and he manages, um, but there's always a danger that he might say something uh, that could cause a negative news cycle or two, which he certainly has not had to date. Yeah, and Byron, finally, I mean, message discipline is definitely something that's a little different as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, you're right about the, the Trump thing. Remember, I mean, there was, there were, uh, there was at least one Trump press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, who like never gave a briefing. I think she literally <laughs> never gave a briefing. No, it's true. 
And at the beginning uh, of it, you would have reporters complain about it. And then what happened is exactly what you mentioned before. Trump himself managed to interact with reporters almost every day. And a lot of times when there was a very negative story coming out that morning in the press, which was many days, Trump would still come out. I mean, he wouldn't hide in the White House. He would still come out and talk to them. So a lot of the complaints about accessibility just went away because the president himself was so accessible. And Biden has just been exactly the opposite. I think Peter Ducey uh, has probably gotten the most answers out of, of Biden, and they've all been like one or two word answers. But so, they still made news. That's right. There you go. And Susan, I mean, Susan's right. Biden needs to do this and he needs to do it, you know, for an hour to just talk to people and get all their questions. We shall see. Panel, thanks so much. Here's a bit of presidential trivia. On March 19th, 1860, American politician William Jennings Bryan was born in Salem, Illinois. Bryan, a legendary orator, was a three-time loser in presidential politics, first in 1896, then in 1900, finally in 1908, each election losing by a larger margin than his previous campaign. Despite this, many of his populist ideas were carried on by future Democratic presidents. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Byron, Matthew, and Susan, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.